0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrict.church. At okay, you guys can uh, go ahead and have a seat. Already doing it. So, you knew what I was going to say. Um At this time, uh, any child that is three and above, uh, if they want to stay in the service and listen to the sermon, awesome, Uh, but we have our uh, kids team ready to take them up to the little district. Uh, They will be learning about Jesus walking on water this morning, so you guys have a great story coming up. Um, You're going to go up there too? I mean, I would if I wasn't up here. (laughs) Um, I just want to give this plea, it is a joy for us to have uh, the kids in here worshiping Um, One of the things that we value as a church is having kids grow up knowing nothing but the love of Jesus and seeing their parents worship, but not only worship um, in the exaltation, uh, listening and hearing what the Bible has to say about who God is and the nature and character of who he is, and then even in confession, seeing that their parents um, are sinners and that they do mess up, and there are times where they are going to confess to the Lord and just having that rhythm in their parent's life, uh, even if it's just a small glimpse on Sunday morning. And so it is a joy to have the kids in here worshiping. I know some of you parents might not feel that every morning um, or every Sunday morning, um, but I think we are laying valuable foundations for those kids to know the love of Jesus as they grow up. (coughs) So uh, my name is Josh, one of the teaching pastors here at the district church. Uh, We are going to be in Acts chapter 20. Uh, This morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some around you. Um, If you didn't bring one, or it is hard to read in here, which I will let the cat out of the bag, sometimes it is. Um, The verses will be up on the screen for you to be able to follow along. Um, Just to kind of give you a recap, um, a very short recap, we have been walking through the book of Acts for about a year and a half now. And we've seen as Luke has portrayed uh, this story of the church going forth, um, we see some kind of very big 3,000 feet view uh, stories that he's got going throughout Acts of the apostles being sent from Jerusalem out to Judea, Samaria. And then there are times where Luke will actually zoom in on specific events. Like if you were here last week, uh, Eutychus falling out of the window uh, or thinking about Peter and Cornelius. Uh, or the uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuch where Philip is going and sharing the gospel with him. There are times where uh, Luke will go in and out throughout this pattern of Acts to show us uh, some of the things that God is doing as he has sent the disciples from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And this morning is actually something even more significant because we see Luke as he writes this story of Paul and his last really meaningful moments with the Ephesian elders, uh, Luke zooms in even more. Luke shows us a very intimate and actually uh, very first time we see Paul address believers, Paul address people in the church directly. Uh, And it is a very, as we'll see this morning, weighty moment. Uh, One that we see the Ephesian elders take for really the rest of their lives and take back to their church, but also something. we can learn from as well in this intimate farewell speech that Paul gives. I'm not sure why Luke chooses this story as if it's one of uh, many others. We don't really see in the book of Acts uh, any other glimpse other than this one. But in these intimate moments, what we do see is the love that Paul has for a particular people where they are shedding tears. They are afflicted in spirit that one of their loved ones is leaving them. So we're gonna jump into that. Uh, Before I do I want to ask just a kind of quick question to to gauge the room. Um, Anybody love history in here? Anybody? Awesome. So just the left side of the room or my right side or your right side. Okay. Um, Anybody actually have a history major? No? Okay. Here's the thing, I, I love history. You don't have to be like me, that's great, but this morning we're gonna kinda dive down into something that I, I love to, to do and read. Um, what I love about history is that oftentimes you can see these speeches uh, in history books where uh, inaugurations will happen, or a speech to call people out of the darkness into a courageous battle. Um, and one of the parts of history that I love to, to read about is how these speakers would craft words in such a way that would encourage and inflame people's hearts to do the thing they're calling them to do. And this morning, what we're going to take a look at is something along those same lines. Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesians elders is calling them, one, to remember what he has done, calling them to do as I have done for you, but also to look past just yourselves and to look to the glory of God and how the weightiness of Christianity, the weightiness of the faith that we believe is a worthy cause to live for and even to die for. Now, some of you may not be history nerds like me, but if I were to bring up certain phrases which I'm about to do, I'm pretty sure that it would recall either a speech or a person who gave that speech. So if I say, I have a dream, we all know where that's going, right? We all know or should know that's Martin Luther King as he gives his famous speech desiring for his children to be able to play both black and white together in America. You may have heard this one before, and I'm gonna to try to do the accent as well, so bear with me, but this speaker said, ask not what you can do for your country, not what your country can do for you. Does anybody know who that is? That's a terrible, terrible rendition. That's, that's JFK, right? In 1961, he gives his inauguration speech And this is what he says to calling the United States to to not think about what their country can do for them, but what they can do for their country. I want to take you to the 18th century. And this was an English leader who had become a believer and was so impressed on his heart about what the country was doing that he had to call the sin out for itself. He says this, When I consider the magnitude of the subject which I am bringing forth to the house, a subject subject in which the interests not of this country, not of Europe alone, but of the whole world and of all posterity are involved. And when I think at the same time on the weakness of the advocate who has undertaken this great cause, these things I reflect on and impress in my mind. But I take courage and I determine to forget all my fears, and I march forward with a firmer step in the full assurance that my cause will bear me out and that I shall be able to justify upon the clearest principles every resolution in my hand, the avowed end at which the total abolition of the slave trade. This was William Wilberforce. In the 18th century, he fought to abolish slavery. And for 18 years, it was denied him this this fact, this, this push to have the slave trade removed and revoked. You see, these speeches, and plenty of other ones, I'm sure if I brought you up here to think about a major speech that might have changed your life, you could give me one, or you can tell me about one. But there are plenty of speeches that have shaped men and women to be courageous, to hold on to hope and to love, and even to die for something greater than themselves. And here in these last moments, we get the intimate farewell speech between Paul and the Ephesian elders. And we, give, we get to see Paul give that same call to do as I did, to live for something greater than themselves, the gospel, which is the grace of God, a gospel that is worthy of living 10,000 lives, giving all to it. So if you will go with me, starting in verse 17, we'll see this farewell speech that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. Now from Miletus, he went and sent, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. "'Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears "'and with trials that happened to me "'through the plots of the Jews. "'How I did not shrink back from declaring to you "'anything that was profitable "'and teaching you in public and from house to house, "'testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks "'of repentance towards God "'and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. "'And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem.'" Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you None of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, testify to you this day that I am innocent of this blood of you all. For I have not shrunk back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer and ask him to reveal more of himself to us. Lord, thank you for your great grace. Thank you for the good news of the grace of God that calls unworthy and unrighteous sinners to repent and believe and put their faith in Christ and in that promise we receive an inheritance. Thank you that this gospel is worthy to live and to die for. And Lord, I pray as we look at Paul's example and Paul's charge and farewell speech to these Ephesian elders that we too would have the same posture as his, That we count our lives of little value but to know you and to finish this race well. I pray this would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul's ministry um, can be summed up in this passage, as well as a phrase that you will often see as he writes his Pauline epistles Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, Paul's ministry, as we saw here, was marked by three things. Humility, confidence, and tears. I'll say that again for any type A person because I like to write things down. Paul's ministry was marked by three things. Humility, confidence, and tears. And in his farewell speech to these elders, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. In humility, in confidence and in tears, do as I did. Now, these words may not specifically or explicitly be in this passage, but they're implicitly calling these elders and calling us as the readers 2,000 years later to follow him as he follows Christ. He charges them to live in such a way that they count their own lives of little value, to give their lives away in order for their church to flourish and for them to finish this race well. So how does Paul give them this example? Well, he says for three years he lived with them. And in verse 19, he says he served the Lord with humility. They saw him serve with tears through trials and imprisonment. They see in verse 20 that he declared what was profitable to them. He taught them repentance and faith in Jesus. Verse 21 says that he was constrained by the Holy Spirit and he followed the Spirit's will wherever it called him. Verse 34, he shows them that his hands were a part of working the ministry for them. He showed them, he said hey, you remember these hands worked for you, for the grace of God to show you this gospel. And then lastly, he showed them that giving his life away was far greater than receiving anything from them. He showed them with his life and his words that the gospel of the grace of God was a worthy cause to live and die for. You see, it's not enough for us to just live a life that looks morally good. Paul's life shows us that it's not enough to just come into a city and do good things or share in our wealth or trying to change how a city operates without the gospel. It's just good works. But he also shows us that if your life doesn't match what you're saying, then you're in error there. You're in error as well. So your whole life and all that you say and do should be from a root of the gospel of the grace of God. All that you do, all that you say, should come from this place. It's not one or the other, but it's both. What you believe should be embodied in your lifestyle. And this is what Paul's saying to these Ephesian elders. To live a life worthy of the gospel is to embody the faith you believe. With humility, with confidence, and through tears, As you share the gospel of the grace of God, because that is the only hope, that is the only thing that will save and sustain and help your people finish this race well. But I want to stop right there, because I want to ask the question rhetorically, (laughs) what is the gospel of the grace of God? And why is it a worthy cause to live and die for? You see, the gospel is a Greek word for good news. So the gospel of the grace of God is a good news announcement. And here's why it's good news announcement, because God has prepared a way to deal with a guilty man and a guilty woman on the grounds of free grace and pure mercy. Because of sin, man is guilty, and they are slaves to their sin nature. And the Bible is clear that God will punish the sinner and he he will reward the righteous. But the good news of the gospel of the grace of God is that this just judge has prepared a way to pardon the transgressions and to justify the sinner through his sovereign grace and mercy the Lord will blot out the sin. He will cover the sinner's transgressions with his righteousness and he will receive the sinner into his family pure and free. It is through God's covenant grace that he who is the just and the justifier can pardon the sinner when they repent and put their faith in Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel of the grace of God. God. That he has done all that we need in order for us sinners to be pardoned and to be righteous. There's a story I know of two pastors who were talking about life and talking about ministry and the weight that comes with it. And one was considering giving everything away and giving all that he had in order to pursue this ministry. They were talking about finances they were talking about family they were talking about the future and what this might look like and one of the pastors was a bit nervous concerned that if he gave his whole life away what would be made of it the other pastor responded to him and said what better work to give your life to and to lose yourself in than the work of the grace of god If you're here this morning and you've never heard this good news of the grace of God, or maybe you haven't heard it quite like this, I plead with you to hear the words of God that are full of grace, that are full of mercy, that are full of encouragement, and full of promise. God says that He will be merciful to your iniquities and will remember your sin no more. He will remove your sin as far as the East is from the West. He calls you to come and reason with Him. Though your sins be like scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. The gospel invitation is simply this. Come, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy good wine and good milk without any money and without any price. Come, just as you are, come to the Lord and he will graciously receive you. Come. All you who are tired and weary and heavy laden, all who are lost and ruined by the fall, you wanderer, come. You are invited not because you are good, but because He is good. You are invited not because you are hopeful, but because you are hopeless. The message of this good news of the grace of God is for those who are in need, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And Christ has come to call sinners to himself. So come, those who are sick, you who are hopeless, be welcomed in by the Father with open arms. He is ready to clothe you in righteousness, ready to give you his ring that signifies that you are in his family. And he has prepared a seat at the table when we worship him in eternity at the feast of the Lamb, come. This is the gospel of the grace of God. And I promise you that there is no greater work in this world that you can give your life wholly to. That's why I love the song we just sang. Yet not I, but Christ in me, who I am wholly bound to thee. This is the gospel of grace that Paul is calling the Ephesian elders to preach and proclaim and he is calling us to live, to follow and to give our lives too. And I don't know what that's gonna look like for you guys to give your life wholly away to the gospel. It may be that you're going to another country to be missionaries there. It may be moving into a neighborhood that you know doesn't have any gospel presence and you are, you are going to be a light In a deep and dying world, it may be discipling two or three people that you feel called to lead despite your inadequacies to lead. It may be working and serving in your church. And yes, this is gonna be a shameless plug anytime I get up here because I oversee our kids' ministry. It means going and working with the kids. I mean, seriously, and this may be a little bit more black and white for me than for you, but what other area in your life do you get to share the gospel with and help lay a foundation in order for children to know and love Jesus? We walked through the Gospel Primer this week, and we got to hear testimonies, and I was amazed amazed, it brought me joy to hear the majority of my group say, there was not a time where I did not know Jesus and the love of him in my family and in my life. That is a beautiful testimony, That one that I want for all of our children in this church. when they sit around a campfire and say, you know what, I don't know when I accepted Christ, but I know that in my family, the friends that my family brought around, all they did was share the love of Jesus, and that's all I've ever known. That's what I want for our kids. That's what I want for your life, to see that you can give an inheritance of the gospel to these children, whether you're their parents or not. Proverbs tells us that a blessed man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I have come to believe that that has very little to do with money and a lot more to do with their spiritual gain. And I want you guys to see the joy and have the hope of watching children grow up in the Lord. To watch them come down and be baptized because they have placed their trust in Christ. There's no other great opportunity than to just go up and serve for an, for an hour on Sunday morning. That's what living your life holy to the gospel looks like. Laying down areas where you may feel uncomfortable, and going and doing because you see the value of shaping little children, men and women with the foundation of the gospel. Of the grace of God. Now, this gospel that Paul is referring to when he speaks to the Ephesian elders, he's saying, You've seen me do this for three years. Now go and do as I have done. And Paul is able to say this because when your life is fully given away to the gospel, you can have confidence that you will one finish this race well and confidence to say, Do as I did. Now, how hard would it be for us to go up to somebody and go, follow me as I follow Christ? But the beauty of the scriptures that it reveals to us about people like Paul is that he was not perfect either. And yet Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. This slow marathon of sanctification, I want you guys to experience this as well. And the way in which Paul did this for three years is in humility, with confidence in the grace of the gospel of God, and through tears. He did this by teaching them the whole counsel of God. He didn't just pick certain areas of scripture that he liked, or he he didn't think of certain things, whether it be doctrine and theology, or a a very little watered down passage that he pulled out of context. No, he, he taught them the whole counsel of God because he knew that it was profitable for their walk for them to finish the race well they needed to know all that the scripture had to say about who God is and how he's revealed his nature and character through the person and work of Jesus Christ he calls them to pay attention to themselves and to the flock because he reminds them that one day wolves will come up and they will teach false doctrine. And they will water down the gospel. And itching ears will follow their lead because their gospel is a little bit easier. He calls them to be alert, to pay attention. He calls them to live with an understanding that it is better for them to give their lives away for their people than to receive. This is his call to these Ephesian elders. And the weight that he has laid on these men who are called by the Holy Spirit to lead God's people who he purchased with his blood. Now I want to kind of turn this and shift this internally for us. Have you ever wondered, if you've been at this church long enough, have you ever wondered why we go through books of the Bible? Why we don't just pick and choose certain topics that's easy for us to preach on? It's mostly because we're not creative. I'll, I will throw that out there. <laughs> really, like, the most creative thing that we've had is like the hashtag blessed series, and I hated that. <laughs> but have you ever wondered also why we're we are calling men to come and walk through our elder process? You ever wondered why that's a 12-month process instead of maybe a couple days or a couple months? You ever wondered why we read Dwayne and I, as often as we do, or while we talk about theology and doctrine, while we talk about preaching and church history as much and as often as we can. You ever wonder why we take seriously the call to eldership to lead the church? If you've ever wondered these things, here is your answer. In this passage right here, we as elders are appointed by the Holy Spirit to lead a people that he has bought by his blood. And I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but it is a weighty one. One that Dwayne and I take very seriously with blood, tears, sleepless nights, times where we are praying on the floor of our home that God would do a work and transform the heart of our people with the gospel. We take this seriously, and so we read, and we discuss, and we pray, and we plead with the Lord, because one of the things that we want to see in your lives, we have to see in ourselves first. That We cannot feed you unless we are feeding ourselves, and all the men who are walking through this process, I know a couple of them are in here, and those who desire this great and noble task... See this weightiness that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. Hear it and consider it. Because it is a weighty task that God has placed on qualified men to lead his church. And Paul calls these elders to be marked just as he was. With humility, with confidence in the gospel, and through tears that they lead. And lead their people well. And man, I pray that in this church, this weightiness never changes for Dwayne and myself and whoever else is called an elder here. And may we never take this office lightly. And I say that to you guys because if we start to, you either need to call us out or leave because that's when that church is going to start going downhill. And as Paul charges these elders to live as he did. The author, Luke, is writing, we have to remember he's writing to Theophilus, right? He's writing this narrative of what happened in the early church. But it's not just a narrative for us to learn information, it's also for us to grow in our knowledge of God and grow in our knowledge of the grace that he has shared. And so Paul's call to follow me as I have followed Christ is for us as well. And we see that as he ends his speech to the Ephesian elders. He calls us to a charge of community. He calls us to a charge of laying our lives down for one another in the body of Christ. Verse 33 gives us a glimpse of the love and depth of the relationship that Paul had with these men. Luke tells us that these elders were sorrowful that they would see Paul go and that they would never be able to see him ag- again. Again. The Greek phrase here for sorrowful is actually affliction and pain. They are in agony that one of their friends, that that one of their loved ones is leaving them and they will never be able to see him again. I said earlier, giving your life away to the gospel gives you confidence, but it also allows you to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And it helps you to be a faithful friend Giving your life away to the gospel helps you be a faithful friend. You see, Paul oftentimes gets this bad rap, right? Oftentimes we'll talk about Paul and maybe use him against Barnabas, of like Barnabas is this loving, encouraging guy, and Paul is this stoic, hard-nosed, not tender, loving theological nerd. Right? I mean, we can do it. I can do it. I can look at Paul's words and think, man, that dude is really harsh. But I would argue that this above text shows us something completely opposite. Three times Luke tells us that Paul was in tears as he spoke to the elders and the Ephesians at this church. He was in tears of showing them what the gospel looked like. And he had a relentless desire for them to know the whole counsel of God. And I would even point out that nobody nobody who thinks a leader is a jerk is going to be sorrowful or in ang- anguish that they're leaving right you've ever been at a job where you didn't like the boss it's okay to say yes we're in a safe space here right anybody ever sorrowful anybody ever in pain because that jerk of a boss is leaving no so it argue from this passage that paul was one of the most tender-hearted loving men in the New Testament who loved his people well enough to tell them and say to them the hard things. To say to them, you need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. In the same way that he loved with humility and with tears, he had the confidence to admonish this church and admonish the believers because he loved them so much. And this is a way that we can pursue community well, with humility, in tears, with confidence. You guys know what a grace it is to have somebody in your life that will say the hard things to you, that will give you biblical truth, call you to repentance, because, not because they hate you, but because they love you. I would argue that they probably are indifferent to you if they won't call your sin out. We live in a world, and even sometimes in the, in the church, where it's, it seems harsh to call someone out, right? It seems harsh to call to someone to repentance and to show them their sin, because we don't think that that's gonna be, seem loving to them. But it's better to love them with how we share what we see in their lives than to let them continue walking in sin and continue let them letting them walk away from the grace that God has given. It's a blessing to have those faithful friends. And we see it here with Paul and the Ephesian elders. What that looks like for us, especially in community, is that what the Bible calls sin, we call sin. We call people to repentance that are in sin. Not because we hate them, but because we love them. And we know that the greatest gift they can receive is the grace of God. But the only way that happens is in close community. I'm not advocating for you guys to get up and go onto Facebook and see somebody that's ranting that you've known for, I don't know, a couple of years but haven't talked to and be like, You're a sinner, you need to repent, delete this post. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Paul was able to admonish these elders because he lived and bled and sweat and cried with them for three years. See, there's a reason why Dwayne can come to me and call out sin in my life because I know he loves me, but I also know that he loves Jesus even more and wants to see my life be faithfully bound to him. And so he is able to come to me and call out sin because he loves me enough for my joy to flourish, to try to have that removed. I don't often like it. But because him and I have a love and affection for each other, we can do that. And this only happens in gospel-centered community. This is why we harp so much on community groups. This is why we're gonna talk a lot about our institutes because it creates a place where we can pursue community while learning who God is so that we can be gospel-centered disciples with each other. This is why we push coming to Sunday morning gatherings so that you can look around and see other saints singing, other saints in pain or in tears because things are happening in their lives and the only reprieve that they get is being able to sing to the Lord because they know that he is faithful. This is why Sunday mornings are so important. This is why we are going to take communion together this morning because it's a reminder for us to look around and say, this is what heaven will be like These are the saints that I'm able to spend eternity with, so why don't I get into deep, intimate community with them here so that they can point out my blind spots and I can point out theirs so that our joy can flourish? This is what laying your life down looks like in community. It's laying down your freedoms, lowering some expectations that we might have for others in order to see the unity of the church grow. Does this mean that you're going to be sinned against? Sadly, yes. Does this mean that someone is going to fail you? Yeah. I'm probably going to fail you. Dwayne's probably going to fail you. Those in your community groups are going to fail you. But because we have been forgiven by the good news of the grace of God, we then can forgive one another. And then we can overlook offenses and we can lay down our freedoms for the sake of unity. Now that's going to be tough. That's going to be hard because that involves opening up lives or opening up our lives and in areas in, in which we hold deep. That if you knew about me, you might not look at me the same way. It's peeling back those layers so that people know the true you and allowing them to speak into your lives. This is how the family of God strives to operate in gospel-centered community, by giving ourselves completely and wholly to the gospel and understanding that this true community will help us flourish with joy. And one of the ways that we celebrate being in the family of God with our brothers and sisters is taking communion together, as we're going to do this week, as we do every single week. As Paul reminds the Ephesian elders, he also reminds us that the family of God was bought by the blood of Christ. And when we gather and take community, we are remembering that sacrifice. And we are reminded of the grace that God has given us. And we celebrate what we've been given. We celebrate together. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different. And if it works, we'll keep doing it. If not, then thank God this will be the last week you got to do it. <laughs> but before everyone gets up to take communion, uh, we are going to do something where, I'm just going to title it like this, we are going to look back look around and look forward. And what I mean by that is we're going to look back at the sin that God has saved us from. We're going to look back at the things that God is calling us to confess. Uh, It may be confession of sin. It may be that you need to reconcile a relationship. Uh, Anything like that, we're going to look back and then we are going to be reminded of the grace of God that he's given to us and that we have been blood bought and that we are sons and daughters of God in spite of us. And then we're going to look around. So to look like this, you're going to go back there, you're going to grab the bread, you're going to grab the wine, you're going to come back to your seats. And I'd love for you guys to be standing because when we look around, we're going to be looking at those who we will be worshiping with in heaven. And it is reminding us and giving us a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like with all the saints. And then we are going to look forward. And by look forward, I mean that we are going to sing together the glory of God that we have through this grace So look back, look around, and look forward. And all of this is to remind us of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that as Second Corinthians 5:21 says, "He who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God." And so we are going to celebrate that in communion this morning. So I'm going to close in prayer. And you guys can take some time to look back, but then as we get up and we grab the juice, as we grab the bread, come back to your seats. And then I will actually lead us in a reading from 1 Corinthians as we walk through communion, and then we'll worship together. Okay? So let's pray and thank God for the gift he's given us. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At